Awesome. Hey, it's good to be in Canada. I happen to hail from just south of Seattle where God's favorite football team resides. The Seattle Seahawks, come on. Any, any Seahawks fans in the house? Any Seahawks haters in the house? Everybody stretch a hand right there towards them. We're just going to believe. No, I, I love Seattle. Seattle has provided the world a few different things besides the Seahawks. Uh, Microsoft, so computers and Amazon.com. We like to help keep the world caffeinated, so Starbucks coffee. So, you know, just, just want to bless. I'm, I'm here to bless. So, no, it's so good to be with you guys. I, I absolutely love uh, Pastor Ben and man Heather. It's just so cool to see what God is doing in and through First Assembly. And it's significant. I don't know if all of you understand the ripple effect that I, I just sense in my spirit that God is doing in and through the life of this church. Sometimes when you th- are in the midst of throwing a rock, you don't necessarily understand the, all the waves and the ripple effects that you're creating. And I just want you to know, don't stop. Keep going. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Uh, my wife sends her greetings. I was just at the West Edge campus and uh, was talking to her. She sends her greetings. Last Wednesday, we, uh, we celebrated 14 years of marriage. That's right. So we got married when we were 12, obviously. So it's almost, almost legal. But uh, we, have, we have three kids, a 10-year-old boy, an 8-year-old boy, and a 6-year-old girl who happens to run the house. Um, so anyways, it's, it's such an honor to be here with you on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Did you know it was Palm Sunday today? Uh, I know in the first service, I think I missed it in this service, but I heard you guys were doing some dancing. Um, So uh, I love Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, Palm Sunday is so significant. In fact, these next seven days are going to be so incredibly significant. And for those of you in the room today, maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Can I tell you, Palm Sunday is so significant. And the next seven days are going to be so incredibly significant as we lead up to Easter. And this morning, I want to share a message with you entitled, Who is This? Who is this? I've noticed in life, I'm sometimes capable of misjudging things. Can you relate with that? There's been times where I've gone to grab a cup of coffee and I misjudge how hot it actually is. And I take a big drink, and at that moment, you realize I can't undo what I just did, right? And you're trying to figure out what to do, and the inside of your mouth is burning, it's scolding hot, and you realize I just misjudged what happened there. That's messed up. Now, I know, I I think you guys have 7-Eleven up here, right? So Slurpees, anybody love a Slurpee in the summertime? And it's hot outside, And, you know, you're just burning up, and you go to take a big drink of Slurpee, and you're trying to find that amount where it's just enough to refresh you, but not too much to give you the brain freeze, right? And you just happen to be overzealous that day, and you have that brain freeze. You misjudge how much you can actually do it. You see, at times, we're not just guilty of misjudging things. One of the things that I'm often guilty of misjudging is people people. In fact, I was 
reflecting on this truth, and my mind went back to a number of years ago, I, I got into the sport of cycling. Any cyclists in the house? Yeah, it's always a small but mighty crew, right? There's like three people in the first service who were like, I guess I kind of do that. But I started cycling, and I was speaking one morning about, you know, getting into cycling, and this lady in our church at that point, she, she comes up to me. Her name was Elaine, and Elaine says, oh, Tyler, you need to go riding with my husband, Ernie. And I'm looking at her going, oh, okay, like, that, that sounds fun. And so she helps me coordinate a time to meet Ernie. And what I didn't realize, Ernie was 69 years old. And Ernie was 6'5", and weighed about 190 pounds soaking wet. And I'm thinking to myself, this isn't going to be a thrilling ride, I think. And we take off, and all of a sudden, about a mile into it, I'm thinking, what have I got myself into? This guy is killing me. I'm looking for a rope to try to lasso and throw onto his bike, because this guy, for the next 30 miles literally not only killed my body, but my pride, my ego, my self-worth, everything, right? You see, what Elaine had neglected to mention was that Ernie, though he's 69 years old, he's a second-degree black belt, he's a sensei, owns his own karate studio, and so he can basically kill me with his pinky. Have you ever met somebody like this? But that day, instead of killing me with his pinky, he decided to use his bicycle to try to kill me. See, I was totally misjudging what my friend Ernie had to offer. We do this at times. Some of us, we've played sports and we've walked onto the basketball court and just kind of chuckled internally going, man, I'm going to show this person and they destroy us. Some of us, we've experienced that on the tennis court or on the soccer field or whatever it might be. And It doesn't just happen in sports, man. Sometimes it happens in corporations, with friendships. We are guilty at times of misjudging things. But I've noticed a pattern that sometimes, even in our faith, we can be guilty of misjudging things. In other words, seeing things not necessarily as clearly as we ought to. And the question that I want us to consider for the next few moments that we have together this morning is this. Have we embraced Jesus for who he really is? Have we embraced Jesus for who he really is? Have you noticed there's a lot of different opinions about Jesus in our world, in our culture, in our societies? Different thoughts, different perspectives of who Jesus is and what he really came to do and what that actually means to my life. What I want us to do, I want us to look together in the book of Matthew as we celebrate today Palm Sunday. I want to look to Palm Sunday in Matthew, the the triumphal entry of Jesus. We're going to read this together because I think we see some interesting things revealed about who Jesus is. Can we look together today? And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. There's a big Bible right up there on the screen. Look at that. It says this in Matthew chapter 21. It says, as Jesus and the disciples appeared or approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go to the village over there, he said, 
And as soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with a colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. By the way, I would not recommend you to try this after church today. Okay? This is specifically Jesus talking. So please don't leave here and go, man, I heard a cool scripture, and you go up and you, you, hey, give me that car. Why should I give you my car? The Lord needs it. No, it, it won't work. Everybody nod your head and say, okay, I get it. It won't work. That was Jesus' assignment, okay? And it says this in verse 4, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. Oh, friends, let that sink in for a moment. Don't blow past those words. Because understand this, the kings of this world always required people to come to them. But what we see in Jesus is that our God, our king, actually came to us. He pursued us. It says that he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Now, understand this. This is very intentional. Everybody say intentional. This is intentional. Jesus is deliberately declaring some stuff. He is allowing stuff to be revealed about who he is. And Zechariah, Zechariah prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus would walk the earth that the king would come, the Messiah would come and enter in. On a donkey's colt. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. It says this in verse 8 Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Another translation says it this way Hosanna! Right? We sang those words earlier today. Hosanna. That word Hosanna means this. Save now. These people are crying out to this one who's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And they're crying out, calling out, save now. Save now for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. They asked that question not because they didn't know that it was Jesus. They asked the question because why is this guy getting this type of response? Not only that, this this is Jesus. Why, Why is he riding on a donkey? That's something that only royal monarchs in Jerusalem did. Only a conquering king would come into the city as palm branches are being laid down as royal homage. I mean, only a king would do that. Who is this? Listen to some of the response of the crowd. It says this in verse 11, and the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Just like then, even today, people have assumptions about who Jesus is. People have perspectives. They have ideas. 
we look at this story, Jesus is riding on the back of a donkey, why? To deliberately declare some stuff. He didn't ride a donkey because a Honda Accord was not available. He didn't ride a donkey because he's a professional donkey rider. He is making a declaration. I am a conquering king. I'm coming in to this city. And the people are fascinated. You know, some scholars think that Jerusalem, because it's Passover and the time for the feast, that the city could have swelled to the point of around 2 million people in and around the region of Jerusalem. So imagine the crowds for a moment. Imagine the perspectives. Just maybe we'll see the man who's opened blind eyes. Hey, just maybe we'll see the guy who, with a small boy's lunchable meal, fed a crowd of 5,000 people. Just maybe we'll get a glimpse of him. And as Jesus comes into town that day, people are left going, wait, wait, who is this? Who is this? We see something important in this. You see, crowds are around Jesus. People are celebrating Jesus. People are making statements about Jesus. And here's what I want you to understand this morning, my friends. How we see Jesus shapes what we expect from him. How you see Jesus. Because again, the perspective of some of the people is, oh, it's, it's Jesus, a prophet. And in that moment, what the crowd is expecting is not necessarily God in the flesh who has come to rescue and redeem, but they're just expecting another prophetic visit, a prophet. How many of us at times and seasons, and maybe as we sit here this morning, we're guilty of seeing Jesus for less than he actually is? Or we look through the lens of our circumstance and we, we kind of see him for what we want instead of what he has deliberately declared on that Palm Sunday so many years ago. He entered into that town for a purpose, friends, knowing what was waiting for him on Friday, knowing that he would pay the ultimate price for you and for me. It was deliberate. It was intentional. You see, how you see Jesus shapes what you expect from him. I noticed this trend. Many of you will remember the statement, what we see is often what we get, Right? I see this all the time with my children. My oldest son, he's 10 years old. His name is Judah. And he's playing baseball right now. And every now and then, he'll, he'll run upstairs and go, Dad, I can't find my baseball mitt. I say, son, did you look in your bedroom? Yeah, I looked everywhere. I, I searched. I, man, for hours, Dad, I've been down looking for it. And I go, you looked everywhere. Yeah. Okay. I walk into his room. And I move a pillow. (laughs) And the mitt is right there. You see, he thought he couldn't get his mitt because he couldn't see it. So understand this. What we see is often what we get. And if you've allowed yourself to live with a lesser view of who Jesus actually is, maybe you're missing something that he actually wants to give and do in you than you're currently actually receiving. What we see is often 
what we get. The crowd makes this declaration. Who is this? Who is this? What's fascinating is Jesus has already made some pretty clear declarations about who he is. He said this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. And then he he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's a pretty clear declaration. Notice what he says and what he doesn't say. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm one of many ways up the same mountain. It all kind of leads to the same place. I'm kind of a way. If you want to lean into me, you can. If you want to lean another way, that's fine. He says, I am a, a portion of life, but there's other life out there. No, he, he declares, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Remember, as he's entering the town, people are going, wait, who, who is this? Who does this guy think he is? What's up with all this commotion? What's going on? See, as we look at this story, I want you to consider for a moment, how do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? I think there's some of us at times, we're we're guilty of seeing Jesus as Jesus the assistant. Jesus the assistant. So, The challenge with seeing Jesus just as your assistant is he exists to come alongside of you, to just kind of help you do your thing, right? And though many of us in the room, we would never actually declare that we live that way or even believe that way, I wonder what sometimes Monday through Saturday reveals. Because the challenge is you only need an assistant to kind of help you when you can't get it on your own. So as long as life is moving along, as long as the marriage is peaceful, as long as you're making enough money or you're receiving that promotion, everything's good. But all of a sudden, when the storms of life hit, we find ourselves a little bit like the disciples in the boat. Do you remember when the storm hits? Where's Jesus? He's asleep on the cushion. They're going, Jesus! Don't you care that we're drowning? Jesus wakes up and goes, wind, waves, come on. I already spoke you to existence. Stop. Stops. See, some of us, we we see Jesus a little bit like, by the way, how many of us are visual learners? Any visual learners in the house? Some of us, we we see Jesus a little bit like, uh, like this right here. When the boat gets bumpy, hey, Jesus, I need your help now. Anybody else ever been in a boat and, you know, whoever's driving it, they kind of jerk it and you grab onto the side? And what do you do? You look for something that's going to keep you afloat, don't you? Come on, I've been, I've been out water skiing with friends and the driver wasn't paying attention. He kind of jerks the wheel real quick and I latch onto those sides of that boat and I am literally looking, okay, if this thing goes under, what is going to float? Because I do not, right? I don't. I wonder how many of us, we, we look at Jesus, we look at 
who he is, his teachings, and we go, hey, Jesus, life's a little choppy right now. I need an assist. I need some some comfort. I need you to kind of help me because it's not going like I planned. But then what happens when the water smooths out? What do we do? We kind of, oh, I I don't really need this. I, I can get it. I can do just fine. It gets bumpy again and we, Jesus, Jesus, it's supposed to be easier than this, right? You ever told yourself that? Wait, the pastor said, if I said yes to Jesus, everything gets perfect. Which, by the way, I know Pastor Ben would never say that. (laughs) Because some of us, we've lived enough life to know that Jesus didn't promise us a peaceful life. He promised us a peace-filled life. Do you know the difference? The difference is not every lake that you travel on through life is going to be perfectly flat and smooth. There's gonna be times where storms come up. Life has a way of bringing storms. Can I get an amen? There's challenges that come and go. But what we have is a peace-filled life even in the midst of the storm because guess who's with us throughout it all? But I wanna encourage you, please don't see Jesus just as your assistant. When you can't do it on your own, then you look to him. We aren't called to do it on our own. Some of us, we don't see Jesus necessarily as a life vest. Some of us, we see Jesus a little bit like a get-out-of-jail-free card. How many of you have ever played Monopoly? I had an idea shortly after I got married to my wife, Amber, that this beautiful blonde woman in whom my heart belongs to, we should sit down and play Monopoly one-on-one. How many married people you made that mistake? You know, you know what happened because all of a sudden she begins to not just beat me, but like destroy me in Monopoly. And she looks at me and she has this like little grin. You know what I'm talking about? I land on her hotel. She goes, which just makes it so much worse, right? And all the fellas said, amen, right? It makes it so much worse. But what I love about the game of Monopoly is you get these every now and then. You, you have this little get out of jail free card. But the challenge with seeing Jesus like this is when you're playing the game, you keep these tucked away until you actually need it. You keep your little get-out-of-jail-free card until you're in a bind, and then you go, oh, it's not working on my own. I need need an assist. I need some help. I need to get out of the bind that I've put myself in. Where's where's that card? And some of us, we've allowed maybe our thoughts about who Jesus is to begin to functionally look like that. Sunday mornings, man, we we love Jesus. Man, we love dancing with, with Pastor Ben up here like we were doing earlier. Doing all that. We love it. But then Tuesday hits and it's not working in our own to keep this going. And Jesus is just our little get out of jail free card. Here's the truth though, friends. Jesus didn't say, I am your assistant. He declared, I am the way. 
I am the way. So for those of us who are maybe in our perspective, as we look at how we relate to Jesus, as we follow Jesus, for those of us who have bought into this idea that, well, he's here to assist me, I would encourage you, maybe it's time to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to reshape your perspective. Some of us, we don't just see Jesus as our assistant. Some of us, we see Jesus as the encourager. The encourager. How many of you like to be encouraged? What's, yeah. What's, what's fascinating, I've never met one person who goes, you know what? I've had too much encouragement today. If you could just dial it down. Hey, Pastor Tyler, could you, could you come over and discourage me? I've just been so encouraged lately that I just, I need to be deflated. I've never met anybody who says that. I've never met one person who goes, you know, I've had enough. It's okay. It's okay. Just dial it down. No. We all love encouragement, don't we? And I love the fact that there's been deep moments of darkness and despair in my life. And in the midst of those, Jesus has brought encouragement. But some of us, we just stop at wanting Jesus to just be an encourager when we need it. We kind of want Jesus to be uh, a little bit like this. Got to find the right one. Here we go. A cosmic cheerleader, right? Don't tell my daughter that I borrowed her pom-pom. Could you imagine if I got stopped through security on my way up here explaining that one? But anyways... We see Jesus like this. Come on, you can do it. Try harder, work harder, go fight, win. Rah, rah, rah. I'm not gonna try to do a toe touch because I know we have to eat lunch in a little bit. But listen, Jesus, though encouragement is important, Jesus is so much more than just your cosmic encourager or your cosmic life coach. In fact, The challenge with seeing Jesus kind of like a cheerleader is a cheerleader is cheering your efforts on. What Jesus is doing, friends, is not pointing us. Christianity is not pointing us to our efforts. We have to continue to point ourselves back to the work that Jesus has done for us. So if we just want kind of a a cosmic cheerleader, we're missing it when it comes to Jesus. It's not about him just being a moral example. It's not about him saying, hey, I lived a perfect life. Try your best to do everything I've done. If we leave it at that, we've missed a huge part of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is not about making bad people good. The gospel is about making dead people live. It's about taking things that were dead. And so could you imagine a cheerleader standing over a dead person going, come on, try harder. Get yourself up. Go, go, go. Can I tell you, Jesus is not doing that. He's saying, son, you're not even alive. And only I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You need me. You need me. It's not about searching for Somebody who can cheer us on. And man, we all need encouragement. Encouragement is important. I'm thankful that God encourages us through the indwelling of his spirit. But encouragement isn't your greatest need, my friend. Your greatest need is a rescuer. Your greatest need is rescue. 
and redemption. And that's exactly what Jesus is demonstrating to us as he enters into Jerusalem that day and he is deliberately declaring, I'm what? I'm king and I'm savior. Jesus is king and savior. It wasn't by coincidence that he asked for the donkey. Why? It was a visual representation of what he's publicly revealing. I am a king. I am coming to you. And not only that, he came with a purpose. He entered the city that day knowing that in a number of days, he would be beaten. He would be whipped. He would be crushed. What we call good on Good Friday was actually one of the most horrific things that could ever happen. And yet it's good because God has done for us what we can never do for ourselves. Jesus accomplished for you what religious activity can't accomplish for you, what all of your volunteerism can't do for you. Man, do we do all those things? Do we love those things? Absolutely. But our only hope is that God would send a rescuer, and he did. His name is Jesus. And that day he rode in as king and a savior. You see, we need a king whose rule is perfect and just, don't we? Aren't you glad that God's rule is perfect? There's times, maybe you've been like me, where I find myself in prayer in a challenging season and going, God, this doesn't feel perfect. This isn't going according to my plan, but here's the beautiful thing about faith. We can trust that he's ruling in perfection in perfect rule for our good. He sees what we don't see. He knows what we don't know. See, we need a king whose rule is perfect and just, but we also need a savior who can rescue us, don't we? We need a savior who can rescue us from our sin, absolutely. But I also need a savior, I don't know about you, I need a savior who can rescue me not just from my sin, but from myself. Because I have a good way of tripping, messing things up, not hitting it right 100% of the time. And what I love is we have a God who wasn't saying to humanity, hey, work your way to me. You know where I'm at. I'm seated on the throne. Come find me when you get your act together. I wonder how many of us, we, we held back in worship because we felt like that's God's perspective of us today. We went to maybe lift our hands and engage in worship. And then all of a sudden that voice reminds us, really, you're going to lift your hands and worship after what you did last weekend? Really? See, what Palm Sunday reminds us, it's not about God sitting on a throne saying, hey, mankind, fix yourself and work your way to me. But instead, no, the king humbled himself, rode a donkey into the town that day to remind us that our king came to us. Friends, that's the good news. That's where we find our hope and our assurance. See, that day, Jesus rode into town as this. Solid gold, borrowed it from a museum. Here's what I want you to understand about this simple visual. Each one of us has one of these in our lives. 
And what I want us to be reminded of this morning, what I want you to hear, is that only one person can wear it. What I mean by that is some of us have allowed something in our life to wear the crown. In other words, to call the shots, to be the ruler, to be the king. Others of us, we've looked to someone outside of Jesus and we've put the crown that is intended to be only in one place and we put it on the head of someone else because their value, what they think about us, their affirmations of us, it either builds us or destroys us. And so we live for the affirmation and we allow that person's perspective of us to be king. For some of us, it's an occupation. Or how many commas are in our bank account? And we look at, okay, this is what really gives me value. This is what calls the shots in my life. And we make those things king. But what Palm Sunday teaches me and what it teaches us today is that there's only one person worthy of wearing this crown. And his name is Jesus. See, so often in my life, yeah, it could be a lot of things, but you want to know where this crown most often ends up? Right there. Why? Because ultimately, I want to call the shots. Ultimately, I want to rule over my own little kingdom. I want to be the one in control. I want to, in some ways, become my own savior. And what Palm Sunday teaches us, friends, is that no, our king came toward us. God in his goodness, in his grace, wasn't waiting for us to kind of work our way up to him, but he came and pursued us. Man, somebody needs to hear that because today you've been stressing out internally going, God, has it been enough yet? Are you happy yet? Have I attended enough consecutive Sundays yet that you're going to welcome me into the family? See, friends, we need to be reminded that Scripture says it this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God wasn't waiting for you to airbrush yourself and touch yourself up in order for you to be acceptable to him. No amount of effort can make us acceptable except the work that Jesus has done and our trust in that. So ultimately, friends, understand, we don't just need Jesus to be our assistant. We don't need Jesus to just be a voice of encouragement. Friends, we need a king. We need a savior. We need somebody who can rescue us to reach in to the depths of where we find ourselves and say, I've done for you what you can never do for yourself. You see, Jesus is the king who came toward us. He came to us. So again, I want to ask the question that we started with. How do we see him? Today, as you sit there in that seat, how do you see Jesus? And by the way, not just on Sunday morning. How do you see Jesus when everything falls apart and unravels with your relationship with your boss at work? How do you see Jesus when that marriage that started off so great all of a sudden starts to show signs of fracture and fatigue? 
What's your perspective of Jesus when your children who grew up serving the Lord are now running the opposite direction? What do you see Jesus as in those moments? So I'll tell you this. He rode into town that day with a purpose, a deliberate declaration. I'm your king. I'm your savior. I'm your king. And I'm your savior. He did for us what we can never do for ourselves. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I want to conclude today by praying for a couple of specific things. And I would just ask that nobody move around for the next couple of moments. But if you're in this room and today you've listened to this passage of scripture in Matthew that describes Jesus entering into Jerusalem, preparing for Easter, there's two specific groups of people that I want to pray for today. The first is this. I want to pray for those of us who may be in the room and we've never put our trust in Jesus. Maybe we've put our trust in religion. Maybe we've put our trust in our activity. Maybe we've been working ourselves to death going, God, is it enough yet? Are you happy enough yet? Has it been enough yet? And today, the Holy Spirit's bringing freedom in you because you're getting a picture, a glimpse of what the gospel, the good news really is, that Jesus has done for you what you can never do for yourself. So this morning, I wanna, in a moment, we're gonna pray for those of you who would say, Tyler, today, I wanna put my trust in Jesus. I don't wanna trust myself as Savior. I wanna trust Jesus. But second, I want to pray for those of us in the room today who would say, Tyler, you know what? I, I've, I've served Jesus for a long time. I've, I've been what I would call a follower of Jesus for a long time, but I sense that I need the Holy Spirit to kind of correct or adjust my perspective of Jesus. Because maybe though you leaned into him for your salvation years ago, from that point forward, you've just looked to him as an assistant when time gets rough. You've looked to him to just kind of encourage your efforts. But today you realize, man, I, I need to be brought back to that place where not just on Sunday morning for an hour and a half, but every single day I see him as savior and I see him as king. So I wanna pray for that first thing today. If you're in this place, you'd say, Tyler, today I wanna put my trust in Jesus. I want to trust him to rescue me, to pull me out of the pit that I find myself in. I realize that, man, my activity, my efforts are never going to be enough, and I need to just set that aside and begin to trust, trust in what Jesus has done for me. If that's you, would you just simply raise a hand this morning and say, yeah, that's me, that's me, that's me, awesome, awesome. Just keep that hand up for a moment. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Anybody in the balcony would say, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Second, I want to pray for those of us who would say, Holy Spirit, begin to correct my perspective. I need to be recalibrated. I need to be adjusted in how I see Jesus. If that's you this morning, say, yeah, Tyler, that's me. Would you just simply raise a hand for a moment and say, yeah, yeah. I need, I need that fresh perspective. I need to see Jesus in the truth of who he declared himself to be. Yeah, awesome. 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 I want to pray.
pray today. Jesus, I thank you for each and every hand that was raised. Lord, today we're reminded of your incredible love for humanity. You did for us what we can never do for ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every friend who raised a hand, for those who said they want to put their trust in you for their salvation. Lord, I thank you that 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Jesus, I thank you that you are a good Savior, a good King, and we can trust you. Lord, as well, I pray for my brothers and sisters who raised a hand, saying that it's time to allow you to begin to recalibrate and adjust the perspective that they see you with. Jesus, I pray that we would see you for who you truly are, that you're our King, that you're our Savior, that you're worthy of us giving our all. Lord, as well, I pray that seven days from now, Easter Sunday, that as we leave these doors today, that we would go into the mission field that you've planted us in. Lord, that even as you entered into the city with a mission and with a purpose, God, I pray that we would go into our city, our community, our workplaces, our families, our neighborhoods, onto our campuses, and we would go with a mission, with a purpose, understanding that you came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus, just as you've reached towards us, I pray that we would go on mission and reach towards others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.